0: Thank Dr. Scott and uh, greetings to everyone around the world. It's great to be connected by one family, as one family, and uh, we hope that you've had an enjoyable and inspiring and meaningful days of Unleavened Bread. Uh, some of you are here uh, connected early in the morning in your time zone and some of you are connected real late in the evening. So. Thankfully, God intervened for us. I wonder what your attitude was when you were delayed in connecting. Uh, remember James, the first chapter, uh, verse 2, count it all joy when you enter diverse trials, knowing this, that the trying of your faith works patience, but let patience have its full work, perfect work, that you may be perfect, full, and complete. So God wants us to be complete. On the first day of Unleavened Bread, Mr. Weston gave an inspiring sermon called Exodus Lessons. And the powerful lesson he gave us was 1 Corinthians, the 10th chapter. If you have your Bibles, you want to turn to 1 Corinthians 10. We may be repeating scriptures that you've read throughout the days of Unleavened Bread, but 1 Corinthians, the 10th chapter, and starting with verse 11. Now, all these things happened to them as examples. And they were written for our admonition, upon whom the ends of the ages have come. Amazing. This is just for us. You're thinking, who who does this qualify? Who does this refer to? The end of the ages have come. And examples. So we need to rehearse this every year. And the fact that God gives us the annual festivals, the annual holy days, gives us in this crazy world, assurance, peace, and stability. So what a wonderful gift that God has given us through the festivals and the Days of Unleavened Bread. So that was the first holy day, and then the weekly Sabbath here in Charlotte, Mr. Jonathan McNair gave a sermon titled Change, Fast, and Slow. He gave guidelines on how to navigate fast change and how to practice regular incremental change over a lifetime. I turn to Matthew, the fourth chapter, Matthew 4, and you find out sometimes God gives us opportunities and we have to respond quickly. We need to make a decision. How would you respond? Here were the fishermen, uh, Peter and Andrew, in Matthew, the fourth chapter, and uh, starting with uh, verse 19. From that time, Jesus began to preach, sorry, uh, Matthew 4, 19. Uh, He saw the two brothers, Simon called Peter and Andrew his brother, casting it into the sea for the fish, for they were fishermen. Matthew 4, verse 19. Then he said to them, Follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. And that's what we've been doing as God's church. Now, notice how would you react? Come follow me. You're fishing. Now, come follow me. What does it say in verse 20? They immediately left their nets and followed him. How would you respond? Going on from there, he saw two other brothers, James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, in the boat with Zebedee, their father, mending their nets, and he called them. They were their father, and they're fishing. How did they respond? Verse 22, and immediately they left the boat and their Father, and followed him, and Jesus went about all Galilee, teaching in their synagogues, preaching the gospel of the kingdom and healing all kinds of sickness and all kinds of disease among the people. How would we respond? How did you respond? Well, you did respond somehow in, in the salvation history, as you would call it, you did give yourself to Christ, as we heard in the sermon of the holy day offering sermon at that uh, give yourself to Christ. So here were individuals that gave themselves, but in the Exodus we find a different kind of attitude. The Israelites didn't see the big picture. Perhaps Peter and Andrew and James and John had the big picture, and that's why they were able to immediately follow them. The Israelites did not.
1: So we can learn from their mistakes and avoid making the same kind of mistakes that the Israelites made. Mr. Wesson has been
0: encouraging us to read uh, Dr. Maris booklet, Your Ultimate Destiny. Uh, It's such an inspiring booklet. I want to read a couple sections from it, and um, I'll read it a little later. But when we think about the time, what our calling is, the festivals, the annual Holy Days, reveal our ultimate destiny and how we are going to achieve that ultimate destiny. The Ambassador College Bible Correspondence Course uh, number 34 is titled Your Part in God's Master Plan. It's amazing what's available on the internet. All of you go Google and put um, AC Bible Correspondence Course Lesson 34 and it will come up on the internet. Well, let me read from that, because it's so important to realize what is the meaning of the days of olive and bread. It's your part in God's plan, master plan. This is what the Correspondence Course Lesson states on page one. Quote, you have probably heard the saying, Jesus Christ led a perfect life in your stead. There's nothing at all for you to do but believe. Most ministers say God's law was nailed to the cross. It's unnecessary to keep the Ten Commandments today. Are these commonly accepted ideas really true? Is there nothing you must do to inherit eternal life? In the time of Christ, the Jews rejected Christ because they were not observing the Passover at the right time. They therefore had lost the knowledge of the first step in God's plan and put their Savior to an ignominious, painful death. But Jesus Christ is not only the author or beginner, He is the finisher of our faith and our salvation, Hebrews 12 and verse 2. That is what the professing Christian world has forgotten. They have lost the knowledge of the second step in God that we must put sin out of our lives. They have lost the knowledge of the second step in God that we must put sin out of their lives. That's from the Ambassador College Bible Correspondence Course Lesson number 34. So once we are reconciled to God, <clears throat> we must grow in the grace and the knowledge of Christ. That's 2 Peter 3 and verse 18. And as Mr. Weston eloquently put it, the days of unleavened bread demonstrate our response to God's great gift in sacrificing his son and the shed blood of Jesus Christ covering our sins. It's our response. So in today's sermon, we'll see what that response should be. We must change, we must grow, and we must overcome. And as the church has been teaching for decades, we must overcome self, Satan, and society or, or the world. And we must trust God to give us the victories. The title of the sermon today is Victorious Overcomers. During the days of unleavened bread, the Israelites were on their way to Egypt, but they certainly were not overcomers. But God gave them several major victories in spite of their carnal attitude. And this last day of unleavened bread, he gave them a major victory at the Red Sea. And we are on our spiritual exodus out of spiritual Egypt, and we expect God to give us victories because sin and Satan come after us even after baptism, and we need God's deliverance once again. So let's turn to Exodus, the 12th chapter, and we see what happened at the Red Sea. Exodus, the 12th chapter this was in, as our historians have said, 1446 B.C. And uh, the Passover was on a Tuesday night, just as it was in 31 A.D. And just as it was this year, 2020, the Passover on a Tuesday night. Now, I actually watched the Ten Commandment movie and part of it every year. I missed it this year, but the movie is exciting in spite of some Historic and other errors and doctrinal errors in the movie, uh, but it does give you the sense of the oppression of the Israelites and their slavery. Of course, it shows uh, Pharaoh uh, Ramesses, who is not the Pharaoh of Egypt, but uh, Yule Brenner certainly did a good job in uh, projecting the carnal attitude of, of the Pharaoh of the Exodus. Nine times. In the book of Exodus, Moses tells Pharaoh, let my people go. And God, of course, has let us go out of the slavery of sin. We're thankful for that. Exodus, the 12th chapter, starting with verse 33. After the death angel came over, the angel of destruction, it says in the Psalms, and the firstborn of all the Egyptians, both cattle and animals and, and the human beings, uh, they were urgent to get rid of the Israelites out of Egypt. Exodus 12 and verse 33. And the Egyptians urged the people that they might send them out of the land in haste, for they said, We shall be dead. So the people took their dough before it was leavened, having their kneading bowls bound up in their clothes and their shoulders. Now the children of Israel had done according to the word of Moses, and they asked from the Egyptians articles of silver, articles of gold, and clothing. And the Eternal had given the people favor in the sight of the Egyptians, so they they granted them what they requested. Thus they plundered the Egyptians, or the King James Version, they spoiled the Egyptians. Verse 37. Then the children of Israel journeyed from Ramesses to Sukkoth, about 600,000 men on foot besides children. So that would be about three or four million of the Israelites at that particular time. So they did not go out at night, as Mr. Wesson explained in the Living Church News article on Passover. They did not go out at night. They went out on the daytime of the 14th of Nisan, and that's when they plundered <clears throat> the Egyptians. They all gathered then at Ramses. Then on the, the on the fourteenth and the fifteenth that night under full moon, they left Ramses for Sukkoth. Now <clears throat> I my been to uh Ramses is called actually the archaeological site is called Adaba. In nineteen ninety one our World Tomorrow television crew went to Egypt and filled the series Lessons of the Exodus in a two-part series. Uh, we went to uh, uh, Tel Adabo, or to Ramses, and then on to Sukkoth. So uh, I've actually, and my television crew, have actually gone from Ramses to Sukkoth. Uh, Sukkoth is an uh, archeological site, it's called uh, Tel El Meshkuta. Uh, you can go on the internet, and you can uh, see sites of the archeological site. at uh, at Sukkoth. Sukkoth, of course, meaning booths. So that was the night of the 15th. They went out by a full moon. And then, of course, they were on their way to the Promised Land. And uh, when they were up at the Red Sea, as it was called, they were trapped. So Exodus, the 14th chapter, turn over to Exodus 14. God purposely arranged it so that they would be trapped and would have to trust him for their exodus. Exodus 14. And uh, so Pharaoh's heart was hardened and he went after them. And uh, it says here in uh, verse 10, And Pharaoh drew near, and the children of Israel lifted their eyes, and behold, the Egyptians marched after them, so they were very afraid, and the children of Israel cried out to the Eternal. <clears throat> and they said to Moses, because there were no graves in Egypt, now if you saw the Ten Commandments movie, you remember that Dathan uh, was, uh, uh, the character was by, by Edward G. Robinson, the actor, and they and said, because there were no graves in Egypt, Have you taken us away to die in the wilderness? Anyway, Edward G. Robinson was uh, quite a character. But you can understand the carnal attitude. They did not have the faith. They did not have the big picture to see where God was taking them. Why have you so dealt with us to bring us out of Egypt? Verse 12 of Exodus 14. Is this not what the word that we told you in Egypt, saying, Let us alone that we may serve the Egyptians? for it would have been better for us to serve the Egyptians than that we should die in the wilderness. Well, you better be careful what you say, because they eventually did die in the wilderness because of their attitude. And Moses said to the people, Do not be afraid. Stand still and see the salvation of the Eternal, which he will accomplish for you today. For the Egyptians whom you see today, you shall see again, No more forever. So, there was a time in our lives when we
1: stand still. And we realize that God is going to fight for us. as it says in verse 14, And you shall hold your peace. So there are times when we can't do
0: anything. And we have to cry out to God to save us. Have you ever cried out to God to save you? Psalm, I won't turn there, but in Psalm 6 and verse 4, King David said, Return, O Eternal, deliver me, O save me, for your mercy's sake, for in death there is no remembrance of you, in the grave who will give you thanks. So David is asking God to save him from the grave, and he gives him a reason for saving him. I think of... uh, Philippians 4, 6, uh, give a reason for the hope that lies within you and the reason uh, for asking God to deliver you from your anxieties. Uh, David gave God a reason to keep him alive because if I'm dead, you're not going to hear me giving you praise and thanks. So it would be nice if you keep keep me alive. Uh, He asked God to save him. The, The next Psalm, Psalm 7, verse 1, O eternal my God, in you I put my trust. Save me from all those who persecute me and deliver me. Have you ever asked God to save you? You certainly can. And when you are in dire needs, and I have, and God has delivered me and delivered you, I'm sure, from many different trials and circumstances, and you thank God for that. Or in this case, you said the Eternal will fight for you.
1: They did not need an army. They did not need military weapons. God fought for them. There one other example. I won't turn there,
0: <clears throat> but you remember the example of Peter, of Jesus walking on the water, and Peter wanted to, to walk on the water as well. That's in Matthew, the 14th chapter. And when he saw the wind that was boisterous, Peter was afraid and beginning to sink, and cried out, saying, Lord, save me. And he told his kid, well, and Jesus let him drown. No, Jesus did not let him drown. It says he immediately stretched out his hand and caught Peter and said to him, Oh, you a little faith. Why did you doubt? And when he got into the boat, the wind ceased. So there are times when there's nothing we can do. We cry out to God to save us. And there are times when God expects us to act. And it's demonstrated under the very next verse here, Exodus 14, verse 15. And the Eternal said to Moses, Why do you cry to me? Tell the children of Israel to go forward. So there are times when we have to act and go forward. But lift up your rod and stretch out your hand over the sea and divide, and the children of Israel shall go on dry land through the midst of the sea, and I indeed will harden the heart of the Egyptians, and they shall follow them. So I will gain honor over Pharaoh and all of his army and his chariots and horsemen. So, and the Egyptians shall know, verse 18, that I am the Eternal, when I have gained honor for myself over Pharaoh and his chariots and his horsemen. So God expects us to act and go forward at times and we thank God for the days of unleavened bread that show that, that we have a part in his whole plan of salvation. So God gave them a great victory, and chapter fifteen of Exodus is the victory hymn. Chapter fifteen and verse one. Then Moses and the children of Israel sang a song to the eternal, and saying, I will sing to the eternal, for he has triumphed gloriously. The horse and the rider has he thrown into the sea. The eternal is my strength and my song he has become my salvation. Uh, verse 20. Verse 20. For then Miriam and the prophetess, the prophetess, the sister of Aaron, took the timbrel in her hand. and All the women went out with her with timbrels and with dances. And Miriam answered them and sing unto the eternal. For he has triumphed gloriously, the horse and the rider he has thrown into the city. God said he tested them at the end of verse 25, but God gave them a great victory. God has promised us victories and triumphs. Sometimes we have little victories, sometimes we have big victories. I know it was a challenge during the Days of Unleavened Bread. I think I'm tech chaplains from time and My wife had a food processor, and and how are we going to solve this problem? How are we going to have a victory? It wouldn't work. I said, okay, well, plug it into the wall. So we plug it in the wall. All right, now what do you normally do? Well, you turn this switch and that switch, and nothing happened. Well, pull the plug from out of the wall, and I turned the food processor upside down, and there was a little switch that said on, off. So anyway, God gave me a victory. I I ask God for little victories like that, and, and so encouraging, even little victories as well as the big victories that we have. But there's a great promise that God gives us, and that's in 2 Corinthians, the second chapter, one that I actually pray about and claim every day in one form or another, 2 Corinthians, the second chapter. Actually, was applying, of course, to the, to the Apostle Paul and, and his ministry, but it still applies to all of us if we want to claim that particular promise. Second
1: Corinthians, the second chapter, and verse fourteen. <clears throat> second Corinthians, two, and verse fourteen. Now thanks be to God who always leads us in triumph in Christ. What? Now thanks be to God who always leads us in triumph in Christ. You know, Miriam
0: praised God for he triumphed gloriously. God gives us triumph in Christ. We can overcome. And through us diffuses the fragrance of his knowledge in every place. Through Christ's ministry, through Paul's ministry, he was diffusing the knowledge, the fragrance of his knowledge, the wonderful truth of God. I'll just read the next couple of verses and come back to verse 14. For we are to God the fragrance of Christ among those who are being saved, present progressive tense, and among those who are perishing. To the one, we are the aroma of death leading to death, and to the other, the aroma of life leading to life. And who is sufficient for these things? So, God, as we are in the process of being saved, and the days of unleavened bread show our part in God's plan. We need victories, we need to overcome. And here's a wonderful promise that God gives us triumphs in Christ. Now thanks be to God who always leads us triumph in Christ. If you claim this promise, I encourage you to do so. In the old uh, Radio Church of God hymnal that we had, a song Standing on the Promises, I believe it was <clears throat> 1972 I was uh, leading songs at the Big Sandy Tabernacle during the Feast of Tabernacles. We had 14,000 people in the Tabernacle building that time and I was leading this song, standing on the promises and the voices just, 14,000 people in that building were just, just so inspiring. I just want to read to you a couple of the phrases from the song, standing on the promises, which, uh, I still sing from time to time. Standing on the promises of Christ, my king, through eternal ages, let his praises ring. Glory in the highest, I will shout and sing. Standing on the promises of God, and then there's a chorus. The second stanza: standing on the promises that cannot fail, when the howling storms of doubt and fear assail by the living word of God, I shall prevail. Standing on the promises of God. The third stanza: standing on the promises of Christ the Lord, bound to him eternally by love's strong accord overcoming daily with the spirit sword, standing on the promises of God. I think that phrase is one that I repeat every once in a while. Standing on the promises of God, overcoming daily with the spirit sword. What is a spirit sword? It's God's word. It's this sword right here, the Holy Bible. And that's why it's so important for us to immerse ourselves in the truth and to read the Bible every day and... Read of the living bread from heaven. So, stanza number four. Standing on the promises, I cannot fail. I cannot fall. Listening every moment to the Spirit's call. Resting in my Savior as my all in all. Standing on the promises of God. Well, God gave Israel a great victory and and
1: triumphs. And there are times He expects us to stand still there are times he expects us to go forward boldly. They were baptized in the Red Sea.
0: Turn to First Corinthians 10 chapter. We already were there. We read First Corinthians 10 and verse 11.
1: First Corinthians 10 and verse 1.
0: Moreover, brethren, I do not want you to be unaware that all our fathers were under the cloud and passed through the sea, and all were baptized into Moses in the cloud and in the sea. And all ate the spiritual food, and all drank the spiritual drink, for they drank of that spiritual flock that followed them, and that rock was Christ. So they were baptized in the sea. They had the wall of water on both sides, the cloud over them. They were totally covered. And they were baptized in the sea. And of course, sometimes when we're baptized, Satan comes after us. And we have to ask God for victory. They were on their promised land. They were on the way to the promised land, as we are on the way to the kingdom of God, our promised land. We're on our spiritual exodus every day. So God gave them a preview of the promised land. What was their reaction to the big picture Do we see the kingdom of God? We think about Dr. Meredith's booklet, The World Ahead, what what will it be like? And the Feast of Tabernacles gives us an annual vision of the coming kingdom of God and our part in it. But turn back to Numbers, the 13th chapter. God wanted to give them a preview of the promised land. Numbers, the 13th chapter. Catherine? Numbers, the 13th chapter. He had spent the spies, there were 12 of them, went into the land Uh, Caleb and Joshua were the only ones that had the faith and had the big picture. So Numbers 13 and verse 1. And the Eternal spoke to Moses, saying, Send men to spy out the land of Canaan, which I am giving to the children of Israel for each tribe of their fathers you shall send a man, every one a leader among them. And uh, verse 6 from the tribe of Judah was Caleb and uh, they went into the land and what did they find? They, they came back, they spied all over the land and uh, they came back <clears throat> with the uh, the iconic, actually, it's kind of a, a, a tourist uh, a souvenir when you come back from Israel. Show the two men uh, holding this long pole and a cluster of grapes, a huge cluster of grapes. So verse 23, then they came to the valley of Eshkol and they cut down a branch of one cluster of grapes. They carried it between two of them on a pole. They also brought some of the pomegranates and figs in place. Was called the Valley of Eshcol because of the cluster which the men of Israel had cut down. <clears throat> so when they came back, they gave a report of the land of milk and honey. And so, verse 27 Then they told them and said, We went into the land where you sent us. It truly flows with milk and honey, and this is its fruits. Nevertheless, The people who dwell there are strong. The cities are fortified and very large. Moreover, we saw the descendants of Anak there. The Amalekites dwell in the land south. In the south, the Hittites, the Jebusites, and the Amorites dwell in the mountains. And the Canaanites dwell by the sea along the banks of the Jordan. So they were a little afraid from what they saw. Verse 30, Then Caleb quieted the people before Moses and said, let us go up at once and take possession. We are well able to overcome it. And that, brethren, is part of the message of this sermon today. To have the attitude of Caleb, we are well able to overcome it. We want to be victorious overcomers. Because we realize when we are well able to overcome it, he didn't mean we're going to be just on his human strength. Caleb and Joshua had the big picture. They knew the triumph of the Red Sea. God gave them a major, great, significant victory at the Red Sea, and they knew the power of God. And so He was having that positive attitude. But what did they, how did they respond? They were about ready to to stone them later on. It says, and yet. <clears throat> Uh, Caleb says in in verse 8, If the Eternal delights in us, that's Joshua speaking, He will bring us into the land and give to us a land that flows with milk and honey. Only do not rebel against the Eternal, nor fear the people of the land, for they are our bread. So
1: anyway, uh, that's how Joshua looked at it. Do not fear them. But verse 10, All the congregation
0: said to stone them with stones. Now the glory of the Lord appeared in the tabernacle of meeting before all the children of Israel. Then the Eternal said to Moses, how long will these people reject me? How long will they
1: believe me? (coughs) Well, here's another amazing event in
0: all salvation history, if you want to call it. Here, God was about to kill all the Israelites at that point in time. Verse 12, I will strike them with a pestilence and disinherit them, and I will make of you a nation greater and mightier than they. What was Moses' comment? Here he had to put up with these carnal people all along, and it's not the only time it happened that that Moses had to intercede for them. And God is saying, saying, Moses, I'll make of you a great nation. <laughs> oh, yes, Lord, uh, wipe them out <laughs> and make of me a great nation. What amazing character! What amazing willingness of Moses to intercede for them. He pleaded with God and said to the eternal, verse thirteen: Then the Egyptians will hear it, and your your might. By your might you brought these people up from among them, and they will tell it to the inhabitants of the land. They have heard that you, the Eternal, are among these people, that you, Eternal, are seen face to face, and your cloud stands above them, and you go before them in a pillar of cloud by day and a pillar of fire by night. Now if you kill these people as one man, then the nations which have heard of your fame will speak, saying, because the Eternal was not able to bring this people into the land which he swore to them. Therefore, he killed them in the wilderness. So Moses gave a reason to God not to kill this carnal people. it said, pardon their iniquity in verse 19. And what did God respond to Moses in verse 20? Then the Eternal said, I have pardoned according to your word. You see how great a person Moses is going to be in the kingdom of God. And God blessed uh, Caleb and Joshua and goes on to see the rest of the chapter. You can read that uh, in uh, verse 30 and that uh, verse 29. So all you teenagers uh, need to read verse 29. The carcasses of you who have complained against me shall fall in this wilderness. All of you who are numbered according to your entire number from 20 years old and above, except for Caleb and Joshua. You shall by no means enter the land which I swore I would make you dwell in. So the teenagers were exempted from the punishment of the 40 years wandering that all of those would die except for those under age 20 and except for Caleb and Joshua. So God sent spies out to the Promised Land, they liked the Promised Land, it was great, but they did not have the big picture, they did not have the Caleb attitude who said, we are well able to overcome it. We need that same attitude, we need the attitude that we can overcome, and we have the boldness and the faith, a positive attitude to overcome, and we must be victorious in overcoming. And by the way, we have quite a few sermons uh, on the website, and go to uh, lcg.org. We have many different sermons, even many on overcoming. Uh, Sermon 1095, which is uh, just last year, Seven Changes That Overcomers Must Make, uh, by Dr. Douglas Wineto. Very excellent sermon. Uh, If you've not heard it, I recommend that you listen to that sermon, Seven Changes That Overcomers Must Make, by Douglas Winneo. And then just uh, four and a half weeks ago, uh, all of you who are tuned in today should have heard uh, Mr. Rick Stafford's sermon on March 14th, 2020, uh, An Overcoming Mindset. And then we have also on our lcg.org website, From Egypt to the Promised Land, Uh, Mr. Gerald Weston's sermon, Days of Unleavened Bread sermon from last year. So God has called us uh, to be victorious overcomers. If you were among the three or four million Israelites, uh, would you have had the faith of Caleb and Joshua? In this end time, we need a different kind of courage. Uh, The world about us is falling apart. It's... uh, having disasters and confusion, and yet God wants us to have sound-mindedness and clarity of purpose and purpose of a goal, the kingdom of God, and seeing the big picture. Mr. Weston wrote an article, A Different Kind of Courage. It was in the July-August 2019 Tomorrow's World magazine. It said, society is changing. And taking a stand against what you know is wrong requires a special courage. Are you ready to put everything on the line? And we also have a recent sermon uh, by Dr. Jeff Fall, An Act of Courage. That uh, is on
1: our website there, lcg.org. One of my favorite poets is Edgar Guest. And
0: Uh, He has a poem called Courage, 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 and I'd like to read that to you. When the burden grows heavy and rough is the way, when you falter and slip and it isn't your day, and your best doesn't measure to what is required, when you know in your heart that you're fast growing tired, with the odds all against you, there's one thing to do, That is, call on your courage to see the thing through. Who battles for victory ventures defeat. Misfortune is something we all have must meet. Take the loss with the grace you would take in the game. When things go against you, don't whine or complain. Just call on your courage and grin if you can. Though you fail to succeed, do not fail as a man or a woman. There are days, dark days and stormy, which come to us all. When about us is ruin, our hopes seem to fall. But stand to whatever you happen to meet. We must all drink the bitter as well as the sweet. And the test of your courage, what do you do in the hour when reverses are coming to you? Never changed is the battle by curse or regret. Though you whimper and whine, still the end must be met. And who fights a good fight, though he struggles in vain? Still many have a victory to pay for his pain. So take your reverses as part of the plan which God has devised for creating a man. Called Victory, Victory, uh, Victory, I'm sorry, Courage, Courage, Courage by Edgar Guest. And My wife said, well, isn't there something missing? You didn't, didn't call on God. You call on courage when you're in trouble. Yes, uh, God gives you the courage to go forward. There are many other promises along that line. So the Days of Unleavened Bread teach us to replace human nature with God's loving nature. And remember that Caleb had the attitude of positive overcoming. Let's go up immediately. He didn't hesitate. He had the positive attitude of overcoming. Let's turn back to 2 Corinthians, uh, 1 Corinthians, the 5th chapter, and ask the question, are you committed to overcome? 1 Corinthians, the 5th chapter. We read several times during the days of unleavened bread.
1: (laughs) 1 Corinthians 5. We have the lessons of unleavened bread. You've read it before, but now on the last day of unleavened bread, very
0: appropriate to read 1 Corinthians 5 and verse 6. Your glorying is not good. Do you not know a little leaven? Leaven's the whole lump? Therefore, purge out the old leaven, that you may be a new lump, since you truly are unleavened for for indeed Christ our Passover was sacrificed for us. And so we kept the New Testament Passover and had the the blood of Christ shed for us. Therefore, let us keep the feast, not with the old leaven, nor with the leaven of malice and wickedness, but the unleavened bread of sincerity and truth. So God has given us the example here of the deep meaning of the days of unleavened bread, to put out the leaven of malice and wickedness. And what does that represent? Human nature. And what do we replace it with? The unleavened bread of sincerity and truth. Jesus said, I am the way, the life, and the truth. He is the way, the truth, and the life. And so we realize, yes, we are replacing human nature with God's divine nature. And that's a miracle that is taking place. Uh, Mr. Weston mentioned, I guess it was one of the sermons about one of our ministers and meeting a prospective member and the prospective member wanted to see a miracle. And he said, uh, I want to see a miracle. and I want to see a miracle right now. Well, how would you have answered that question? I would have answered the question, you're seeing a miracle. I am a miracle. All of our brethren are miracle who've had changed character, who've gone from carnal nature to divine nature, who've gone from selfishness to sacrifice and giving, being a living sacrifice, realizing, yes, there is a miracle that takes place, and that's through God's Holy Spirit in us. And remember that we are cleansed by the blood of Christ. First you know, John 1, verse 7, If we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship one with another, and the blood of Jesus Christ cleanses us from all sin. And he gives us the divine nature through his Holy Spirit. So we are all walking miracles. Mr. Weston has encouraged us to read Mr. Dr. Meredith's inspiring booklet, uh, Your Ultimate Destiny. I mentioned that here a little while ago. And he repeated that encouragement in his April 13th co-worker letter. Uh, you heard the announcements that Dr. Scott was talking about uh, those of you who already received it uh, by electronic mail. A hard mail will be coming probably this coming week. But here's what Mr. Weston said in his coworker letter. Quote, This world needs the good news of the coming kingdom of God. That good news goes far beyond retirement on clouds in some kind of celestial drug trip. Our booklet, Your Ultimate Destiny, gives exciting understanding of God's plan for mankind. What he has in mind for you goes beyond amazing. What he has for you goes beyond amazing. Be sure to order this free resource if you do not have it. So I'd like to read from that uh, Ultimate Destiny book at page five. So how long a process is this mandate that we have of overcoming? After quoting Revelation 20, verse 6, about referring to our ruling with Christ for a thousand years, uh, Dr. Meredith writes this on Your Ultimate Destiny on page 5. Quote, Yes, the true saints are called of God, and are being trained through an entire lifetime of overcoming, and are being trained through an entire lifetime of overcoming to join Jesus Christ in ruling over the cities and nations of the earth. Could anything be plainer than that? Yet somehow, many misguided people, even theologians, still believe in the idea of doing nothing for all eternity. They do not remedy, they do not remotely
1: realize the true Christians are called for a wonderful, exciting, awe-inspiring purpose. of overcoming. I think you think about that, overcoming daily with
0: a spirit sword. I remind myself and even sing the song from time to time. But what do we need to overcome? Are you committed? It means your life and it means your future. The church has taught for ages that we need to overcome three enemies. Of course, they're one way of describing it. So let's describe the three enemies that we need to overcome. Dr. Meredith puts it this way in page 7 of Your Ultimate Destiny. True Christians are to overcome their own human vanities and passions, overcome the world and its temptations, and finally resist Satan himself. Peter concludes his last letter with this searching admonition, but grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, to him be the glory both now and forever. Amen. Second Peter 3, verse 18, which is a theme, one of the major themes of the days of unleavened bread. So let's briefly discuss how to overcome each of these three enemies of self, Satan, and society, or the world. We think about overcoming Satan We need to recognize sin and its temptations. That's one of the points. How do you overcome Satan? By recognizing sin and recognizing the temptations that come along, even during the Days of Unleavened Bread. Uh, Some have uh, mentioned how they absentmindedly ordered a hamburger during the Days of Unleavened Bread and ate the leavened bun that was on the Days of Unleavened Bread. What was the problem? It was absent mindedly. <laughs> absent mindedly, you know, you don't, we are not to be absent minded when it comes to recognizing sin. And the days of unleavened bread give us that exercise that we must always be on guard. So if you're going to overcome sin, Satan, you need to recognize sin and its temptations. You need to also recognize wrong thoughts that may be subtly probing your minds by Satan. Uh, Mr. Weston's article and his sermon along the same line, the LCN article, Are You Fooled by by the Devil's Infomercial? Are You Fooled by the Devil's Infomercial? That's the January and February, Living Church News uh, 2020. And then uh, there's a sermon also, uh, that Mr. Weston gave, the three temptations of Christ, showing how we overcome Satan, as he did, Jesus did in Matthew 4 and, and Luke 4, the three temptations. He did it with the sword of the Spirit. Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God, and by every word of God. Turn to First John, the second chapter. First uh, John, second chapter. How do we overcome Satan? So God gives us the power to, and he gives us the promises to overcome Satan. 1 John second chapter and starting with verse 12. 1 John 2 and verse 12. I write to you little children because your sins are forgiven and thank God for that. We kept the Passover and and I must uh, say that I do want to apologize to any that I've offended. I know sometimes we offend people and uh, sin against people we don't even know about. And uh, I'll just ask for your forgiveness to any of you that I have hurt and uh, sinned against. And uh, so we forgive one another. We love one another. And we thank God that our sins are forgiven. I write to you, little children, because your sins are forgiven. You for his name'sake, I write to you, fathers, because you have known him who is from the beginning. I write to you, young men, because you have overcome the wicked one. Can you overcome Satan? Absolutely. And he says, I write to you, young men and women, because you have overcome the wicked one. I write to you, little children, because... You have known the Father. I have written to you fathers because you have known Him who is from the beginning. I have written to you young men and young women because you are strong and the Word of God abides in you and you have overcome the wicked one. So God says, yes, you can overcome the wicked one. How? Huh? Because the Word of God is in you. And you're spiritually strong because the word of God is a part of your character, a part of your thinking, and a part of your mind. And, of course, God gives us that promise in James, the fourth chapter, um, but one that we're all familiar with, James 4 and verse 7. Therefore, submit to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you, not just six feet away, as we have in social distancing, but he will flee from you. Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. So we can overcome Satan and put him away if we wield the sword of the Spirit, and if the Word of God abides abides in us, and if we recognize the subtle temptations and resist them fully. So you can overcome and have overcome Satan, but we must overcome the world as well. We already read about that or close to it in First John, the second chapter. First John, the second chapter. <clears throat> had several sermons on that, and uh, Mr. Weston and, and, uh, has uh, drawn the analogy between First uh, John two and the. Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden, and also the three temptations of Christ. 1 John 2, verse 15. Do not love the world, or the things of the world, or anyone loves the world. The love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life, is not of the Father, but is of the world. It's not of the Father. What is of the Father? The Father is love. And how is his love described by the Ten Commandments? Loving God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength, and loving our neighbors as ourselves. That's the way of the Father. The world is passing away, and the lust of it, but he who does the will of God abides forever. So we need to overcome. We had a sermon by Mr. Weston entitled, Uh, Remember Lot's Wife. That's uh, sermon number 1075. Uh, Jesus said in Luke 17, verse 32, Remember Lot's wife. Why? She loved the world. She wanted to go back into the world from which she came. She couldn't discern the most important spiritual values above the carnal ones. And she turned into a pillar of salt. Then, of course, we know the story which we've heard in sermons recently of the, the rich man of Matthew 19:17. Jesus, uh, he said, well, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus mentioned several of the Ten Commandments. He purposely omitted the Tenth Commandment. And uh, Jesus said, if you want to be perfect, go and sell what you have and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven, and come follow me. But it says in Matthew 19 and verse 22, but when the young man heard that saying, he went away sorrowful for he had great possessions. He said, I've kept these for my youth. But Jesus didn't mention the 10th one. He had not kept the 10th one from his youth and he failed the test. We, not, we brethren, we must not fail the test to come along. We need to be victorious overcomers, overcoming daily with a spirit sword. And, of course, along that line of overcoming the world, uh, Mr. Weston's Tomorrow's World article, Tame the Social Media Monster, uh, March, April, 2018. So, How do you overcome the world? You identify the temptations of society, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the pl- eyes, and the pride of life. And of course we're thankful for God in Jesus' statement which we read during the Passover service, uh, John 16:33. These things I have spoken to you, that to me you may have peace. In the world you have tribulation, but be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. So if Christ has overcome the world, so can you. In Romans 12, verse 12, I won't turn there, but repeat it. Do not be overcome of evil, but overcome evil with good. So we need to overcome Satan. We need to overcome the world and the temptations of the world. And we need to overcome human nature. that self and selfishness and sin. I won't turn there, but Psalm 39 verse 5 is one of the descriptors of human nature. Indeed, you have made my days as a handbreadth, David said, and my age is as nothing before you. Certainly, every man in his best state is but vapor, see law, or the King James Version. Every man in his best state is but vanity. So we need to examine ourselves and make sure that we are overcoming human nature. In fact, we have. <clears throat> That is one of our sermons, Overcoming Human Nature, available again on our LCG website. Uh, sermon 1104, Seven Changes That Overcomers Must Make by Dr. Douglas Winale, I mentioned before. Yes, we can overcome. The Apostle Paul had trouble with his human nature in Romans, the seventh chapter. The commentators have difficulty with this because they say, "Well, if if he was saved, why is he having this problem with with human nature?" They didn't realize that that is an ongoing purpose for all the rest of our lives. So in Romans, the seventh chapter
1: and uh, verse. Uh, <clears throat>
0: He talks about the law being holy, verse twelve and the commandment holy, just and good, uh, Romans the seventh chapter verse eighteen. For I know that in me that is in my flesh dwells nothing good dwells but to will's present will me. but how to perform it, what is good, I do not find for the good that I will to do, I do not do, but the evil will i I will not do that I practice now if I do that would will not do, it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells in me. I find then a law that evil is present with me, the one who wills to do good. Uh, Mr. Rod King gave a sermon on the, the third law. I believe it was not the title of the sermon, but it was referring to this section of Scripture. But notice the Apostle Paul's attitude, would needs to be our attitude, in verse 22, Romans 7. For I delight in the law of God, according to the inward man. For I see another law in my members, warring against the law of my mind, bringing me into the captivity to the law of sin, which is in my members. O wretched man that I am. Here is an apostle. He realized he had human nature. Who will deliver me from the body of this death? I thank God. Here's the solution. Through Jesus Christ, our Lord. So then with the mind, I myself serve
1: the law of God, but with the flesh, the law of sin. God has written and writing now as we cooperate. Laws of our hearts. Overcoming daily. Overcoming
0: sin Overcoming Satan, overcoming society, overcoming self and human nature. So we're replacing the leaven of malice and wickedness with the unleavened bread of sincerity and truth. We must continue to grow spiritually every day. And sometimes we have setbacks, spiritually speaking. That's the time to fast and to seek God wholeheartedly. We need to renew God's spirit within us day by day. And he gives us a wonderful promise, of course, in Luke the 13th chapter, or Luke 11, verse 13. I'm not sure about the reference. That if you being evil know how to give good gifts unto your children, how much more will your heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? So we need to read overcoming. We need the power to overcome. In the days of the unleavened bread, encourage us to overcome the three enemies, Satan, self, and society. But he also gives us extraordinary power to overcome. Turn to Romans, the eighth chapter, Romans eight. You no, know, the Feast of Pentecost focuses on the first fruits, but also the power of God and His Holy Spirit. You realize. What is the power of God's Holy Spirit? It's the power of the resurrection. It's the power of love. It's the power of the begettel that he's God and the Father has begotten us as his sons and his daughter. It's the power of creation. It's the power by which Jesus Christ sustains the universe by the word of his power. It tells us in Hebrews the first chapter. God gives us the power to overcome. Romans 8 And verse 35, Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or peril or sword? As it is written, For your sake we are killed all day long. We are counted as sheep for the slaughter. Yes, we are undergoing trials, and many of our brethren are going through various trials, health trials, financial trials, persecution. But he says, verse 37, Yet in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. How are we conquerors? Through him who loved us. Yes, Jesus Christ is our living Savior. And it's by the power of his living his life in us that we are able to overcome. We eat unleavened bread seven days. We think of Jesus Christ as the bread of life. And, of course, we're thinking of the unleavened bread of sincerity and truth, of, of thinking of godly character, of divine nature. We realize that Christ lives in us, it is the mystery of the gospel, that it tells us in Colossians, the first chapter. But there's the first, John 2 and verse 24. Now, the brethren, there are many I'm going to share with you, several. Uh, scriptures to talk about Christ in us. It's not just Galatians 2.20. 20. That's a wonderful verse, a very powerful verse. But 1 John 2, and um, I would recommend and encourage you to mark your Bibles wherever you find the expression that we are to abide in Christ, live in Christ, and that He lives in us. 1 John, the second chapter, and uh, verse 24. First John 2, 24. Therefore, let that abide in you which also you heard from the beginning. If you heard from the beginning abides in you, you also will abide in the Son and in the Father. So not only does Christ abide in us, but we abide in the Father and in the Son. And this is the promise that he has promised
1: us eternal life. We continue in verse 27, but the anointing
0: which you have received from him abides in you, God's Holy Spirit. And you do not need that anyone teach you. Of course, uh, <laughs> one student one time, I don't need you to teach me because it says right here. I don't need anyone to teach me. Well, what was John doing? He was teaching them right here. He's teaching them right here in the scripture. But it's talking about the Holy Spirit. He's talking about false teachers. You don't need false teachers to teach you. Is The context when you understand John's epistles against the Gnostics. But the anointing which you have received from him abides in you, and you do not need that anyone teach you, but as the same anointing teaches you concerning all things, and is true, and is not a lie, And just as it has taught you, you will abide in him. And now, little children, abide in him, that when he appears, we may have confidence and not be ashamed before him in his coming. Do you have that confidence? We only have that confidence when we accept God's correction, we confess our sins, and we accept his forgiveness. As we've already read, First John 1, verse 7, the blood of Christ cleanses us from all sin, but we are determined to overcome, determined to go forward. We have confidence and not be ashamed before him at his coming. So we thank God for that. And it continues down here in chapter 3, starting with verse 4. Whoever commits sin also commits lawlessness, and sin is lawlessness. And we know that he has manifested to take away our sins, and in him there is no sin. Whoever abides in him does not sin. Whoever sins has neither seen him nor known him. Little children, let no one deceive you. He who practices righteousness is righteous, just as he is righteous. So He expects us to practice righteous, but those who are not righteous do not abide in him, as it says. Well, let's continue here with uh, chapter 4, first uh, John 4, and uh, we've got the right scripture here, First John 4, and verse 12, First John 4, verse 12, no one has seen God at any time. If we love one another, if we love one another, God abides in us. And his love has been perfected in us. By this we know we abide in him. How? And he in us? Because he has given us of his spirit. It seems rather mysterious about abiding him and he lives in us. But how is that possible? By his spirit as he gives us. So thank God for the overcoming power that he gives us. Verse 16, and we have known and believed the love that God has for us. God is love,
1: and he who abides in love abides in God, and God in him. There are more and more powerful scriptures. It just goes on and on.
0: Uh, Let's take a look at one or two more. Uh, They're very encouraging one that... uh, I think it gives you the power about overcoming self, Satan, and society. Uh, In fact, there was a popular Christian song along that line. 1 John 4, verse 4. You are God, little children, and have overcome them, that is, the spirit of Antichrist, because he
1: who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. That's a promise. Greater is he that is in
0: you than he that is in the world. So wonderful promises God gives us. Chapter, four, uh, chapter 5 and verse 4. He tells us about the victory we have in overcoming. 1 John 5, verse 4. For whatever is begotten of God, it should read, overcomes the world. And this is the victory that has overcome the world, our faith. Who is he that overcomes the world but he who believes that Jesus is the Son of God. So God has given us the power. He's given us the mandate. He's given us the commandment to overcome, but he's also given us the power and the way to overcome. So when we eat unleavened bread, we think of the living bread from heaven, the sinless unleavened bread of Christ, We remind ourselves of the power that God gives us through His Spirit, that we abide in Him, we live in Him, and He lives in us. In Galatians 2.20, I am crucified with Christ, nevertheless I live, yet not I, but Christ lives in me. And the life that I live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave Himself for me. So these are powerful tools for overcoming and we know and I remember a sermon that someone gave, us, helped me to remember the four tools of overcoming, of some tape um take objection to the word tools, we'll say the four resources for overcoming. He brought the analogy of a, a car with four wheels. Well, you need all four wheels, and he analogized that to the four resources of overcoming prayer, fasting, meditation, and bible study. Dr. Meredith uh, talks about that in uh, Your Ultimate Destiny, and I'll read from that, page 12. It is obvious that the major purpose of the Christian life is to reconcile God, man to God. The Holy Spirit guides a person through an entire process of total surrender to God and to the Savior, Jesus Christ. Through the Spirit, the person grows in the grace and knowledge, the very character of Jesus Christ, 2 Peter three eighteen. With God's help, this process involves overcoming and learning to live by every word of God, Luke 4, verse 4. For a person to draw near to God, he must deeply study the Bible, eating of the spiritual bread of life, John 6, verse 56 through 63, so that it literally becomes the way he thinks and acts. Overcoming involves regular, heartfelt prayer to God every day of one's life, often several times a day, and always being in the spirit of prayer. It involves constantly meditating on God's word and purpose, and occasionally fasting to draw closer than ever to God. In all this, and then in daily active yielding to let Christ live his very life within us through the Holy Spirit, Galatians 2.20, the true Christian learns to walk with God month by month, year by year. The totally surrendered Christian becomes increasingly like God, end of quote. And that's from the Your Ultimate Destiny, pages 11 and 12 want to give you a couple more scriptures uh, that are powerful. Um, I'd like turn back to John 14. Apostle John talks so much about even not only Christ, but God the Father in us as well. So John 14, verse 23, we would have read during the Passover. John 14. Jesus answered, John 14, verse 23, and said to him, If anyone loves me, he will keep my words, and my Father will love him, and we will come to him and make our home with him. That was Judas, and asked Judas, How is it that you will manifest yourself to us and not to the world? So God promises to make his home with us, And Christ is home with us. In John 15, you're all familiar with the vine, that Christ is the vine, and that we are the branches. John 15, verse 4, Abide in me, and I in you. We realize the Apostle John had that such a deeply ingrained and impressed upon his heart and mind that he talked so much about it in the first John that we just read. Jesus is saying in John 15:4, Abide in me, and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit of itself, unless it abides in the vine, neither can you, unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me, and I in him, bears much fruit. For without me, you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is cast out as a branch, and is withered and they gather them and throw them into the fire, and they are burned. Verse 7, If you abide in me, and my words abide in you, you will ask what you desire, and it shall be done to you. By this my Father is glorified, that you bear much fruit, so you will be my disciples. So brethren, we must always be abiding in the vine. And he prunes us sometimes in we are corrected and we take that correction and we grow even better fruit. We have a rose bush at the corner of our house that was cut back, was pruned back and are just leaving today, just bearing so many rose buds, even in one little finger, about seven little buds,
1: just in one little, little tiny branch. It's bearing much fruit. God must really love us when we bear fruit. And that's the fruit of the Holy Spirit, from love, joy, peace,
0: long-suffering, goodness, kindness, faithfulness, self-control, that we're bearing that fruit.
1: We're loving the brethren, we're fulfilling his great commission in doing the work and warning the world. Life through the true savior of the world, Jesus Christ. We already saw in Romans 8 that we are more than conquerors through him that loved us. That we are more than overcomers. We saw that God told Israel to stand still, but then told them to go forward. So we need to pray
0: that we have the discernment to know when to stand still and when to go forward. We are on a daily exodus. So let's all of us become more. Unleavened spiritually through Christ in us, and look forward to the ultimate victory. We turn to Revelation the fifteenth chapter, Revelation fifteen, and uh, here you're talking about our being on the sea of glass. That's when we go to the wedding with with Christ. We will be the wife, the wife the
1: bride of Christ. Revelation fifteenth chapter and
0: verse two fifth verse two And I saw something like a sea of glass mingled with fire, and those who have the victory over the beast again the days of unleavened bread. Show that we can be victorious and must be victorious. Have the victory over the beast, over his image and over his mark and over the number of his name standing on the sea of glass, having the harps of God. So we thank God if we persevere, we conquer sin, we become victorious. We'll be standing on that sea of glass. But there's one final victory. And you know what that is, 1 Corinthians, the 15th chapter, 1 Corinthians, the 15th chapter, the great and final victory, starting with verse 50. Now this I say, brethren, flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does corruption inherit incorruption. 1 Corinthians 15, verse 51. Behold, I tell you a mystery, we shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed. We are in that process of changing, growing, overcoming. In a moment, the twinkling of an eye at the last trumpet, for the trumpet will sound, and the dead will be raised incorruptible, and we shall be changed. For this corruptible must put on incorruption, and this mortal must put on immortality. So when this corruptible is put on incorruption, and this mortal has put on Immortality then shall be brought to pass the saying that death is swallowed up in victory. The final victory will be our change from mortal to immortal, born into the family of God at the last trumpet. It says in verse 57, But thanks be to God, who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, my beloved brethren, be steadfast and movable, always abounding in the work of the Lord knowing that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. The Israelites were completely out of Egypt on the seventh day of unleavened bread when God brought them through the Red Sea.
1: But they did not remove Egypt completely out of them. They did not overcome sin.
0: Christ tells us to become perfect, even as our Father in heaven is perfect. In Matthew 5, verse 48, that means perfect in unconditional love, to have his very character. Well, God has given us exceedingly great and precious promises that we can have his very divine nature. He's promised us in Hebrews thirteen, five, I will never leave you nor forsake you. He's promised us in Matthew 28, verse 20, Lo, I'm with you always even to the end of the age. And he's promised us in Philippians 4.13, even as the Apostle Paul was in chains and said, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Near the end of the Ultimate Destiny booklet, Dr. Meredith wrote this, a very heartfelt message on page 26. With all my heart, in all my being, I encourage all of you who read this to truly seek him diligently. Do not allow yourself to put anything ahead of God and his truly wonderful purpose for your life. Learn to truly study the Bible as never before. Learn to get down on your knees before the supreme governor of the universe and literally pour out your heart in prayer to him for the love the wisdom, and the strength to truly be an overcomer and to become his real son in a world-ruling kingdom soon to be set up on this earth. End of
1: quote. God will give us the ultimate victory if we keep our eyes on the big picture, the promised land, the
0: kingdom of God. So, brethren, let's dedicate ourselves as victorious overcomers, As we eat the unleavened bread of sincerity and truth, we have his awesome promises as we read in 2 Corinthians 2 and verse 14. Now thanks be to God, who always gives us triumph in Christ. So, brethren, let's go forward in faith, with drive, determination, with dedication,
1: fulfilling the work of God. So, thank God that we are the church of the forgiven. Let's strive to be the church of
0: victorious overcomers.